Welcome back to Let the Stones Speak. I'm here in the Gavati parking lot excavations with uh, Dr. Yiftak Shalev. Thanks very much for taking your time with us today. Thank you for coming. So this is a very important excavation, probably one of the most important, I would say, in Jerusalem, just because of its longevity. You've been digging here for a while. Exactly. And you keep on coming out with amazing discoveries <laughs> that make the... Uh, the world news basically this latest discovery about some ivories some really important ivories that were found here right. is absolutely everywhere so for today's program we're going to just discuss the ivories um their importance the larger more of the finds from the same period in your excavation okay. but first if you could just describe uh this latest announcement uh, from the excavation okay so in the past few years we were talking more than once about this structure that we're digging here from the first temple period. Mm -hmm. uh, within the structure, within the destruction of that structure, we found already for at uh, 2018 and 2019, we, we kept finding small pieces of, a, of what looks like tiny bones fragments or mm -hmm. tiny ivories, we never knew, with small decoration lines or small flowers and stuff like that. We found them during the excavation, piece here and piece there. In the field. In the field. And when uh, we send stuff for wet sifting, more tiny pieces like that keep coming back. Mm -hmm. Within the time, after more, or almost two years of excavation, we realized that we got quite many of these small finds. Uh, sending them to some experts, we understood that what we got here are ivories and not regular uh, bone inlay that you can keep finding in different sites around so, the place. So, like you say, I mean, ivories are special because it's imported rather than just worked off bones that could be locally found. Ivories are probably the most prestige and expensive material in, the, in that period. Mm -hmm. it's more expensive than gold. Okay. And if you wanted to show your, your rank, if you wanted to show how rich you are, this is what you, you, you had in your house. You had ivory items. These are the, I don't know, the Ferrari and mm -hmm. caviar and champagne of the ancient right. world. So finding these in, in, here in Judea was a big change. We know about uh, corpuses of ivories from other large city capitals of the ancient world. For example, Samaria, the capital of uh, Israel, mm -hmm. and Namud in Assyria, and other places like that. But it's the first time that we found ivories here in Jerusalem. And it changes the way we look about capital about Jerusalem at the late Iron Age, at the days of the, uh, the end of the First Temple period. Okay, so as far as so people are aware, you're talking about these maybe the last 50 years uh, around that time period of, of, okay. of the Judean Kingdom in Jerusalem? Uh, okay, let, let's go back a second. Okay. The structure itself was burned down and destroyed by the Babylonian in 596 BC. This is the, the destruction that's detailed at the end of the Bible. Jeremiah, Kings, Chronicles all talk about this destruction. Right, exactly. And we know from the text that the Babylonian burnt every large house. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense because the house that we're digging is a public stru uh, structure. It's definitely one of the largest ones here in Jerusalem. We are not really sure when the house was built. Mm -hmm. We assume, it seems according to some finds that were found below the floors, that it's somewhere in the first half, maybe toward the, uh, the middle of the 8th century oh, really? uh, BC. Okay. And it definitely existed throughout the 7th. Okay. Uh, 
so the, the items could be slightly earlier, right. but I, I'm not assuming that they are 100 or 150 right. years old. We, so in terms of like biblical geography of, of this site, um, if people are aware, we'll put a map on the screen so people can see, but we're at the northwestern point of the city of David. Um, we know that based on other finds from other sites that there is more ancient settlement just on the top close by right. during the same period. This you're saying is kind of mid-8th century to the end, which would put it around King Hezekiah's time. Right. And um, does that relate to his expansion of the city, do you think, around that period? Or? So, so, yeah, well, of course we know that somewhere in the 8th century, some scholars say earlier, some say later, but during the 8th century the city expanded, mm -hmm. and it expanded toward the west. The west. And we know from other excavations, for example, at the uh, uh, Western Wall Plaza, that other houses, large houses, part of the administration uh, quarter of Jerusalem, were in this area. Okay. So the city expanded west, and this area where we're sitting right now was part of the main quarter. This is where the, the elite of Jerusalem used to live, the ministers, the priests, and so on. So if we stick back to the ivories now, you mentioned that we've found others from uh, Samaria, the capital of the northern northern kingdom, and then you have Assyrian uh, from the palace of, of um, Sargon II, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's they're all kind of in the same period, I guess. The 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 capital of Samaria. I mean, there's ongoing debate about the dating of the Samarian ivories for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, but do you see? Uh, this is definitely later than both of those. Do you, do you find evidence of that outside of the stratigraphy of the actual building and in the motifs that were used? Okay, so, so the motifs include mostly rosettes and, uh, and three volutes, which are quite common here in Judea, mm -hmm. but usually relate to the days of Judea as a vassal king of the Assyrian period. So it is part of let's call it the Assyrian coin in, in a, a long term. Mm -hmm. uh, motifs which are very common in Assyria, again, the rosette as a symbol, and lotus flowers also, right. stuff that we, we do found in the Assyrian uh, uh, motif collection. What we don't have here are figures, uh, human figures or animal figures that we see in Samaria and in Amabudi and other places are not, not existed here. Mm -hmm. Is this the result of uh, definite choice by the citizens of Judea, of Jerusalem, not to use such ivory, or we just never found them yet, it's a question that we... But you found, you see. said 1,500 pieces. Yeah. Uh, obviously, some of them are tiny, and they probably can't tell exactly what they are. So... How, but yet, out of all of that, you still haven't found figures. Um, right. Uh, now, as you can imagine, it was specific world. Right. <laughs> Credit, credit to whoever did this. Yeah, so let's together. give them credit. Yeah. Uh, Ilan Naol from the Israel Antiquity Authority and Ona Cohen. Okay. They both fat with this huge collection, clean every tiny piece, and then looking at it, it's, see which go together. Uh, it's an incredible jigsaw. Right, right. But uh, out of these 1,500 uh, tiny shirts, 97% of them are rosettes, lotus flowers. Right. And, uh, and frames. Mm -hmm. So we believe that mo what we got mostly are these square plates with rosettes and three in the middle. Right. And we s by counting the corners, we assume we had some 22 or 25 such items. Okay. Wow. There's 
Uh, and what would they have existed on these ivories? Okay, so these are probably inlays okay. used to decorate large wooden furniture. Okay. It might be doors, it might be uh, wooden uh, beds. Mm -hmm. This is what we, we, we suggested, the wooden right. bed, but some large uh, furniture. When the house was destroyed, when it burned down, of course, these furniture was burnt with him, but the ivory remains crushed, burnt, but they remain. So, I mean, the parallel to that, I assume that you're going from that will be on beds and things. This is detailed in, in the prophetic book of Amos. It talks about in the northern kingdom, of course, right. not it's here, earlier, but, yeah. but 100 years earlier, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and they've got it inlaid in their beds of exactly. ivory. And time. you also got the, the image of uh, Asahadon on... Asahadon. Yes, yeah, it has it. Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the stone relief, right, on, on, on such a bed. So this is where we took the image from this okay. uh, this relief. It it might be it makes sense that something like that happened, especially bef because the room where these furniture used to be is a very uh, fancy room. Mm -hmm. It was a big room situated, uh, located in the second floor so of the upper house, story, yeah. so the upper story. We know it was a large room, about six by four meters. Okay. We know it had a very interesting and unique floor. Okay. The floor was uh, a, a mosaic, not a mosaic, I'm sorry, uh, a marble-like floor. It was cast floor okay. made in a terrazzo technique, and okay. it was reddish and shiny. So it's a series of uh, uh, shapes that are... Are you talking about that? No, 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 no. It's basically they it took they took uh, clay, very okay. fine clay, okay. mixed it with pieces of calcite. These are just ah, minerals. Okay. Yep. Poured the whole thing on the oh, floor, wow. and when it was semi-dry, polished it from above. So you got one complete surface, okay. six by four meters, reddish and shiny. It must have been really, really impressive. Right. So such Not your a typical dirt floor. No, actually, <laughs> it's the first evidence for such a technique at the Levant from the Iron Age. We never knew that something like that existed. Wow. So within this impressive room, you had some furniture. And we assume that this room was something, something like the triclinium of the later period, the place okay. where the, the owner of the house welcomed his guests, mm -hmm. where they made uh, ceremonies like the Marzeach that you mentioned uh, mm -hmm. from Amos, probably drank the wine, right. made decisions, so this was the, the main room of that house. We'll get to wine in a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to just come back to the, the images that are on this and relate it to the place of construction uh, of, of uh, design and manufacture mm -hmm. of the ivories themselves. Mm -hmm. So where do you believe these were made? Uh, what proof or evidence do you have that leads you in that in that direction? Okay, uh, first of these are of course uh, elephant tasks. Mm -hmm. We know that due to the work of uh, Harel Shochat, he's from Haifa University. Okay, he, he studied uh, items himself. There are no elephants here during that period, so mm -hmm. the elephant itself must have been hunted in I don't know Eastern Africa or something like that. The task most probably were brought to uh, Assyria mm -hmm. and. Uh, the the walk itself probably was made there. there there's, it's hard to believe that a workshop mm -hmm. and artists that actually knew how to walk with ivory existed here or, or lived here in Judea. We we assume that the the walk itself made in Assyria in Amrud or other places and brought here either just a set of ivories or maybe the whole furniture itself. 
It could have been just regular trade. We know that the Saudi Arabian trade passed through Judea at right. that time. Or, probably even more likely, as a gift between, uh, as a people interaction. Right. The elite of Judea receiving gifts from the elites at Assyria. Something like this. So the, the fact that you don't have, as far as you've found so far, um, images on it, it seems like it would, wouldn't be far as a stretch to say that these were Judean-specific ivories. So if they were made elsewhere, they were made with Judah in mind with their construction. Uh, well, first of all, of course, these are just... Uh, right. Speculation. Speculation, that's course. important. Yeah. So we didn't find figures yet. It, it, didn't, it doesn't mean that they never existed. Right. But ivories with only... Uh, floral decoration mm-hmm. as we found here also exists in Samaria so okay. you don't have to, to have figures in some in I'm sorry in Assyria right. you don't have to have figures in Assyrian ivory you also got this floral decoration and the rosettes as I said before is a very common symbol also in Assyria and so uh, so does this, the tree and the volutes so it doesn't mean that it was made especially for Judea but it means that whoever bought this or maybe the one who bought this mm-hmm. knew why he's cho- is choosing this specific item and not others. I do think it's interesting. I mean, you're very familiar with the material that was found basically on the opposite side of the ridge here mm-hmm. uh, in Area G. And inside that, I guess we have bone fragments that have been decorated right. with certain decorations, but not ivory. I suppose you double-check that to make yeah, sure. Actually, Arel, who I mentioned before, went and checked all of these pieces that some of them were published as ivories, mm-hmm. but apparently they're not. These are bones. But they buried the, the same kind of decoration. Mm-hmm. So I think it, 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 it tells us that some people in Judea were rich enough and could afford having the, the real thing, the ivories. Right, right. And others... Made have, a knockoff yeah, exactly. version of it. But, but this idea, this, these are the kind of fashions you wanted to have in your house back in the days. You wanted mm-hmm. to have furnitures with inlays of floor decoration and lines and other stuff. Right. And certainly if you if we go to the biblical text for this period, especially during the reign of Manasseh, you do have a Assyrian influence being of course dominant at this. Yeah yeah we know time. that Judea was a vassal kingdom of of Assyria. Right. Some kings were stronger, some weaker, but this was a vassal king. It was under the influence of Syria, both political and, of course, cultural and, and economical. Right. So maybe we can uh, talk about wine now, just as another mention of this that you mentioned that they were maybe sipping on wine or something like that yeah. in this building. This relates to a discovery from probably, at least it was released maybe five or six months ago, right. something like mm-hmm. that. What, what was that? Okay, so again, we're coming back to this large uh, public structure and we said that the upper store was the more the more nice one but mm-hmm. it had a lower store three rooms which are basically a storage room mm-hmm. and one of the room was a wine cellar yeah it contained 15 jars uh, one of them at least had a rosette stamp on its handle meaning that it was part of the tax collation system here in Judea and we sampled eight of these 15 jars uh, doing residue analysis. It's a system that allows you to, to take small samples from the clay itself and to, to, to see what kind of material it, it contains. Right. And all, all of the eight jars that we sampled 
came back with a result that they contained wine. Right. But not only wine, it was a very specific wine. The wine was spiced by, with vanilla. Mm-hmm. And vanilla, as you can imagine... Another one of those rare exactly. commodities. <laughs> and very expensive. Right. It, it grew wild in, uh, in India and Eastern Africa. Okay. So you had to collect it right. and ship it here to Judea uh, and then put it in your wine because this is probably what the rich people here in Judea wanted to drink. And the interesting thing is that we found this uh, vanilla spiced wine not only here in Givati, but also in another structure that was dug at the uh, other side of the uh, city of David right. uh, by Josiel. And uh, over there, they also got a structure that was burned down during the Babylon destruction. It also contained quite many uh, jars, and these jars also contained wine spices with vanilla. So this was the, the taste of the elite here in Judea. So the scene that you're describing, both with these two items, is one that Jerusalem is a is at the very least a center of trade. There's a lot of trade that's coming through here mm-hmm. um, from far off places, Africa, perhaps India, um, and then certain elite that are able to acquire those really rich commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find that, as you said, on both sides, both sides of the ridge, right. which is quite amazing. Um, what else have you found, if you can ask, that, that speaks to the, the opulence of, of this structure? Uh, okay. Apart from the floor, we've got the, the wine, the wine we've got the, the ivory. ivory. Uh, we also got a quite large collection of uh, uh, seals and especially uh, seal stamps. Okay. Bullas. Yeah. And most of them, we, we got, I don't know, about 100 shards of uh, these kind of bullas. Mm-hmm. About 30 of them had some kind of decoration. Okay. Most of them, as is very common during that period, had names, yeah. the owner of the seals. Right. Uh, most of the names are names that we are not familiar with, but one of them is really, really unique. Uh, the inscription said to Nathan Melech, Eved Melech, Nathan Melech, servant of the king, mm-hmm. uh, which is, first, it's kind of strange because usually you got the name of the person and his father. Right. And this person was probably important or well-known enough, so you don't need to have his father's name. Everyone knew who this Nathan Melech right. is. And servant of the king, of course, it doesn't mean he's a servant. Uh, on the contrary, he's an important man, the right hand of the king. Right. Uh, and uh, this, the name Nathan Melech is also mentioned in the Bible at uh, King II, mm-hmm. during the reform of uh, Josiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that they are doing are it's burning the chariot of the sun, forgive me for not quoting exactly, but they burned the chariot of the sun which were within the temple enclosure and the horses were given to Nathan Melech the Munich but Munich again in the term of Sar mm-hmm. uh, from uh, minister, minister. Uh, which took the horses to his house somewhere in the city okay. uh, of course we can't we can't say 100% that Nathan Melech the minister from uh, King II and Nathan Melech, the servant of the king from our house, are the same pe- uh, person, but I would say it's mostly like... 99.9% yeah. chance, like since that, it's yeah. the rarest name ever. <laughs> we don't Some, find yeah, it anywhere the, the else. The name and the title and the period, the, right. the, the dating Concept. of the letters themselves, oh. and the paleo, uh, paleographic, is 7th century uh, BC, mid-7th century BC, so it also fits the time. 
uh, so everything together indicate that there is a probably the same person. So this is not the house of Nathan Melech itself. Right. But someone at his rank, right. he sent letter or a contract or something like that to whoever lived here in Givadi. And the guy who lived here had his own archive, if you like. Right. At least, I don't know, 50 or 100 letters and stuff right. like that. Right. So it's another indication for its rank. Right. So this excavation site, as we covered at the beginning, is is situated in a really amazing location, right. close to close to where all the business was going to be happening, the royal mm-hmm. uh, business. Um, would you say your excavation here? I mean, from obviously people are interested in that listen to our podcast and the biblical history um, of Judah and Jerusalem. At least, if you're talking about the eighth century, the seventh century, um, and you're reading the text, and you're also discovering what you discover in the field. Is there any surprises for you as an, as an archaeologist at the correlation between the, the accuracy of the text, or is this given, a given, do you think, for this period? Well, uh, I actually think that the answer is wider than just Givati. Right. We know from different excavations in Israel, from the finding of the many bulas and inscription, some of them bearing names already mentioned in the Bible, we know that from, at least from the 8th century and on, the archaeology and the Bible more or less go hand in hand. It doesn't mean that every, every one of the stories which are in the text exist as it is mentioned, but the name of the people, the name of the site, the, 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 uh, the rank of the people, the minister, the writers. So we keep finding names in archaeology and then the same names appear in the Bible. So I think that most scholars agree that... So this is across the board, you're not some right. right-wing crazy person that wants to go here and, and prove I, the I biblical don't, I text. Don't think so. No, we're not <laughs> trying to prove anything. Right. It's, it's already out there. Right. What really impressive me and what was uh, kind of unique, right. uh, according to the find from this excavation, is the, the importance of Jerusalem, because we keep thinking about it as the capital of Judea, but as a local capital, right. and all the finds that we are finding, the, the ivory, the vanilla, this unique floor with the, the technique, it's an indication that the city was stretching well beyond its physical border, mm-hmm. economically, uh, cult- uh, culture-like, politically. Uh, it stretches well beyond, it made connection with people, as we said before, in Assyria, trade networks which are coming from India and, and Africa passing through here traders don't bring expensive material to places if they are not sure they want they will be sell it. Right. someone need to pay for it so it means that whoever lived here in Jerusalem was strong enough rich enough to buy these materials and people all over the known world at that time knew that so mm-hmm. trade networks passed through Jerusalem elite uh, people from Samaria sent gifts to their peers here in Judea. Mm-hmm. It was, I think, it, it, you can't compare it to Namrud, okay, it's not that big. Right. But still, it's relatively larger and stronger than the image that we had before. Okay. So, going forward now, you've got this building here that has been, you've been uncovering for four or five years. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and this excavation itself has been going on for... 18 oh, years oh, now. I remember parking here, just above here, back in 2006. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, and it was dug further that way at that point. Um, how do you foresee the future over the next year or so? Is there more to uncover from this building? 
Uh, can we expect, uh, is there something in the works here that hopefully in the near future we'll have more that speak to the opulence of Jerusalem? Well, first is a good question, as every excavation, you usually fear from the future. Right. Uh, the excavation here is a unique excavation. Uh, first of all, it's uh, the only excavation in Israel which is ongoing through the year, which mm -hmm. is a combined excavation. It's not. It's uh, it's a co-director by myself from the Israel Antiquity Authority and my colleague Professor Yuval Gadot from Tel Aviv University. So it's a co-project of right. these two institute. Uh, we do have plans to continue digging here. Uh, we do want to expose more part of the building. For now, we only expose its southern part. We mm -hmm. do want to expose... It continues to the north? Yeah. We know that it continues to the north. Okay. It is not excavated yet. We hope it preserved at that area at the same uh, level. So we do have plans. Uh, we believe that the excavation will continue. So hopefully we'll have the opportunity to do that. Time will tell. We'll see. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure to come and talk to you. Yeah, thank you you're for always open. If I knock on the door or call you, if you're here, you give a tour. So, very thankful uh, for that. That's what archaeologists is all about yeah, fighting and to show to the public. So, this is why we're doing it. All right. Well, thank you, Yifta. You're welcome. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this latest video from Let the Stone Speak. If you did so, please do feel free to give it a thumbs up. And you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, hit the bell notification to make sure you receive the latest video that goes up on the channel. I would like to also mention our magazine that also goes by the same name, Let the Stone Speak. This is a magazine on biblical archaeology that comes out six times per year. And you can receive this by uh, writing an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org or simply visiting the front page of our website armstronginstitute.org scroll down so you see the magazine and subscribe yourself for your free copy thanks for watching